All right. Is everybody about knocked it out there? You guys in the back done? The group with the pastor and the group. Are you guys finished? All right. <clears throat> hey, uh, question number one. In what ways do enemy forces do battle in us in the area of our thoughts? I was, I was looking at some of you guys and thinking that, that question could take you in a lot of different directions. Like, what is a thought? And how esoteric is that? But I really just wanted something practical. You know, in, in what very practical ways do we do battle in our thoughts? And, and in what ways does the enemy affect us in that area of our life? So what did you guys come up with in that? Okay, negativity. Give me some more on that. What do you mean? Like... All right, so that's, not, that's doubt. That's a different thing. You've got negativity and doubt. Okay. I agree with both. Yeah. Okay. All right, so just, just negative thoughts, getting us to focus on negative things, bad things. Everything's going bad. Everything's going wrong. Nothing's right. Focusing on the, the dark spot instead of the, yeah, okay. And then self-doubt was another thing, or doubts, just doubts in general. Causing us to doubt what? Like, doubting yourself? Doubt God? Okay, doubt the truth. Okay. All right, so uh, I, I like negativity. I don't really like negativity, but I like your answer of negativity. Um, self-doubt and doubt in general. I think those are both definitely two ways that enemy forces do battle in our thoughts. What else? Say it again. Oh, renewing offenses, okay, causing us to re- replay the, the movie over and over in our head of some, something someone's done to offend us or to hurt us. Yes. Yeah. But it's still there. You still think about it. And those emotions come back up the more we think about it. Okay? So. Okay, taking you down what if trails. Okay? Questions. And that comes back to doubts and questions and. Yeah, were you going to? Sorry. Worry. Well, worry. That's, yeah. Definitely. Anybody else have anxious thoughts? Worry? You worry? Do you find those things? Do you do you find yourself doing battle in your mind about those things? You know, worrying about a situation, something that has happened, something that might potentially happen, something you're afraid might happen. Yeah. What else? Do you guys have some stuff? So we've got negativity, um, doubts, worries, replaying offenses. Matt. Okay. Prideful thoughts. So, so the other end of that spectrum of, of not doubting but being too proud and being haughty and arrogant thoughts and prideful thoughts, self-exalting thoughts. Yep. Okay. All right. There's one I thought you guys would mention and nobody's mentioned it yet. Go ahead. No, I, I thought no, they were pointing at you like you or Bruce was. I Commercials. You're making me dig on that one. I'm not sure. You've got to help me on that. Oh, the Hardee's commercials. Now I'm with you on that. So we're talking lustful thoughts is where we are now. Okay. All right. All right. I'm with you now. That's good. Yeah. Oh, you're fattening food. No, 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 no. You said the Hardee's commercials. I know what he's talking about. Um, so lustful thoughts. 
um, which could be lust for food or other kinds of lusts. But that's certainly certainly a, a, a way that we do battle in our thoughts. I mean, that is a huge battlefield of thoughts. Uh, it's not limited only to men either, although uh, you know men are, are primarily the ones who um, who struggle the most with that. But it's not limited only there. So lustful thoughts. That's one. There's another one that you guys haven't mentioned that I thought for sure you'd mention. What a fear. Nobody has fear. Fear. You don't deal with what? Yeah, fearful thoughts. Well, all those, and I imagine if we do, if we pull this out a bit longer, you guys could come up with some other things. But I would imagine that uh, out of that list that we just kind of pulled quickly there, um, how many of you, how many of you have have felt like at some point in your life you have been mentally doing battle against at least three of those things we just mentioned? Okay. Probably if I said all of them at some point, most of us would raise our hands because it's true. All of those things are things that we do battle on. And, you f- and that all happens in your mind, doesn't it? And, and there's an influence there. Those thoughts don't come randomly. Um, they're, they're, they're there for a reason. And it's part of the spiritual battle. It deals with our thoughts. And, and the enemy forces uh, have a way of influencing us in those areas. Um, so, uh, and we saw some examples of how this deals with thoughts. We saw uh, uh, Satan tempting Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, we saw Satan tempting Christ in the temptation. And, and it all involved how we th- behave, but also how we think. Tempting them to think certain things that would cause behavior. All right, so good answers to that. Number two, reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. And I wanted you to list how each verse shows God's relationship to the armor. Uh, most of them you could do, except for the John passage, uh, 17.7. Um, if some of you came up with something on that, you're a genius. I don't know. It's a really short verse and doesn't help. Yeah, well, 16.6.2, but 17.7 was also just as bad. Um, but uh, of the other ones, uh, I suppose you're able to, uh, to make some connections. So what were the connections uh, between God and the armor, the pieces of the armor? Did you find some connections there? Nobody did. Oh, is that right? You Give these guys the award. Everybody give these guys a hand. You all got it, I know, but they were the first ones to say it. Yes, it, point, it makes the connection between these pieces of armor that we're going to be talking about some tonight and next week and, and how Christ represents those things. Christ, we, have, we have Christ who, in one of the passages, He is the truth, right? One of the pieces of armor is, a, is what? Relates to truth. Belt of truth, okay? And, and we have a, a, a breastplate of what? Righteousness. And one of your passages specifically identifies that God is righteousness, or our righteousness. He is our peace, Ephesians passage. You saw that, right? So all these things relate to the person of God. These are not things that are external to Him. They're, they're part of who He is. And when we put on the armor, we're putting on Him, in a sense. And we'll, we'll explore that a little further as we get to those passages. And then at the Ephesians uh, chapter 4 passage, in the beginning of chapter 5, what are some of the things that you, you, you listed there that were lists of of examples of commands for righteous living. What, what things represented righteous living in that, in that passage? What's that? Everything. List some of them for me. Okay. All right. No corrupt communication. Part of righteous living is speaking in ways that are not corrupt. Okay. What's that? No, no malice, no slander. 
Okay, don't steal. Okay, work with your own hands. What else? I'm sorry. Uh, be kind and tenderhearted. Absolutely. Yeah, I was hoping somebody would, you guys would see this, that sometimes when we start looking at commands for righteous living, we focus on the negative things, the things that we should not do. But this passage also lists some things that we ought to do. And righteous living involves both, doesn't it? It involves putting off certain kinds of behaviors and it involves putting on some positive things as well. And so you saw that, right? What's that? Absolutely. Forgiving one another. Be an imitator of God. Walk in love. Right? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Lots of practical examples there. We'll come to that that text probably at the end tonight or maybe next week. Um, But anyway, I just wanted to get you these questions thinking about this issue again in our thoughts, how this battle plays out in our thoughts. Um, and we're going to connect it to the armor and to righteous living and all that here in a bit. Um, but just to, just to quickly review from our last go-around, we talked about two words our last time around uh, that were based out of two passages. They were the word foothold and the word stronghold. Do you guys remember us talking about those of you who were here? Anybody? Anybody? Going once? Going twice? Okay. Uh, what was a foothold? We were talking about giving Satan or giving the devil a foothold. Okay. A little, little nook, a little crevice, a little, a little point of entry. Um, the, the word foothold foot could translate opportunity, giving some opportunity, some, some point of entry for, for an enemy force. And, um, and the particular passage in which the, the, the word is mentioned, it's in the context of anger, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You should deal with these things before that because if you do, uh, continue to dwell on it and not address it and not deal with it. He says, you're, Paul says, you're what? You're giving the enemy, you're giving these enemy forces a foothold, an opportunity, a little crevice or crack to creep in. And we talked pretty extensively about the fact that that, uh, what happens is, you know, large temptation often begins with really simple little footholds that we allow. And over time, those footholds become strongholds. What is a stronghold? Do you remember that? Anybody? Go on once. Stronghold? Any takers on that? Okay, uh, sort of a sort of a, f- a full occupancy kind of a deal. Did I, did I have that definition of stronghold on there from last time? Let's put it up there. An entrenched pattern of thought, an ideology, value, or behavior that's contrary to the word and the will of God. And we can add to that in the second definition the the, the connected idea, a sense of hopelessness that, that we can't change this. Uh, something becomes a stronghold when we when we get entrenched in a certain way of thinking and acting that we know is contrary to God's will, and we, we lose hope that it can change. Does that make sense? Have you ever sensed that going on in your life? You, you're trapped in a pattern of thinking. You're trapped in a pattern of, of sinful behavior that's happening over and over. Maybe you try to just stop or pull yourselves up by the bootstraps, and you can't. It just keeps coming back, and it keeps coming back. And eventually, um, you, you, can, you can get to a place where you, you just lose hope, where you just say, you know what, I don't think I can... And you just give in. You just give in to it. And it becomes a stronghold in your life. It has to be broken. We talked about those things last week. The idea that 
that, that, that it all starts small with footholds, it becomes strongholds. And part of it is behavior, part of it is thinking. Uh, but it, it, this idea of hopelessness comes in there. The, the, the Satan, the one who tempts us, the one who, 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 who affects our thoughts and leads us down a path contrary to God's will, and we begin to go down that will, the moment we give in to the temptation, the one who's led us down that path becomes then what to us? Remember what he does next and often? He becomes our accuser. You remember us talking about that? So he tempts us, makes sin look, look uh, appealing. We take the bait and we sin. He then flips and becomes the accuser and says, look at you. What kind of Christian are you to behave like that? What if, what if your, your people at your church knew that you thought that or that you did that or that you acted that? And he becomes your accuser and stirs these thoughts we were talking about, doubts and fears and so on and so forth. And all this begins to swirl, to, swirl together to become strongholds in our lives. And, and we can become entrenched in these things. And so what do we do? I mean, how do you deal with strongholds? Well, we ended our time talking about the only way to deal with these things is with the truth of God. It's not a magic formula. There's not some incantation that somebody needs to speak over you. There's not some hocus-pocus that needs to happen. It's the truth of God that has the ability to destroy the strongholds that are in our life. We'll see that in 2 Corinthians in just a moment. Uh, but it's the truth of God that, 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 that is the issue here. When we get to the armor, you'll see that the only, the only offensive weapon we have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is the truth of God. That is what destroys stronghold. Is what liberates us from this kind of battle that we that we that we find ourselves in and so we're going to find ourselves in second corinthians chapter 10 uh, for a few minutes at the beginning here today uh, just looking at a passage beginning in verse 3 and then going on through verse 5 um, it's the context of spiritual warfare um, and uh, we're going to look at this passage a bit uh, paul writes to the corinthian believers and he says this for though we walk in the flesh we're not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, that's some interesting imagery, isn't it? What is the imagery, uh, the, 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 the analogy that he's painting with his language there? He's talking about spiritual warfare, but he's using a human analogy. What do you think Paul would have had envisioning, would have been envisioning in his mind as he's making this analogy for us between the spiritual war and what? He's using the language of actual war in his day, right? I mean, what, what was going on in Paul's day? Who, where, where, what was happening? Paul was Jewish, right? But who were, yeah, okay, right. The Romans were the rulers, right? They had the, they had the army, and he would have understood Roman soldiers, very possible that he was writing this from prison, so he would have maybe had a good view of what a Roman soldier looked like. Um, and so he's thinking in the terms of, of the warfare of his day. And so you're seeing, you know, we're not waging war according to some weapons. Um, he's talking about strongholds uh, and, and, and uh, liberating captives. So in, in Corinth, has anybody ever been to Corinth? Anybody? You've been to Corinth. So anyone else ever been to Corinth? Well, John could tell us all about Corinth. No, I'm just not going to put him on the spot. I would love to go to Corinth someday. I have not been there yet. But just south of the city is, is, um, is a, are some ruins, and there's a great mountain that kind of juts up right out of the, the green grass there, and it's where the Acropolis was, the high place is what you'll see it called uh, sometimes in Scripture. And uh, uh, 
which was a, at one point on top of that, it was, a, it was a fortified fortress. And that's not unusual in that time in history, right? I mean, oftentimes cities had high places that were fortified and impregnable largely. Why? Why did they have those? Okay, so when an enemy comes, you need to have somewhere to, to do what? You've got to go somewhere to go, number one, to be protected. Uh, typically, high ground is better. I'm, I'm no military man yet. Um, but, but I do under, understand that, you know, if you're fighting somebody, having the high ground is better. Um, and, and so often in ancient cities, they would build these impregnable fortresses where they could flee when an enemy was attacking. You could, you know, defend yourself, number one, and survive, and also attack from above. And so that was pretty, pretty um, uh, typical. But in Corinth, they had such a place. And in some places, the whole entire city was, was built that way with interior and exterior walls and so forth. Um, uh, so you understand the point of that. Um, the word actually, though, the word actually, uh, speaking of fortresses there, also can be translated prison, which is kind of interesting too, isn't it? Because, you know, if you think in terms of an invading force coming to a city and people fleeing to this place, to this fortress, to entrench themselves for protective purposes, well, that often becomes what? A prison because they can't get out of them as well. Right, because they're stuck there. Um, the place where they take refuge, they also become prisoners. And, and if, if the enemy stays long enough and they can't wheel, uh, you know, fight them off, what starts as their fortress and becomes their prison ultimately ends up their, their tomb, right? Because that's where they die. If you can't get out and get food or water and so forth. So um, this word has a lot of imagery. Um, and, and lots of shades that Paul's using here. Um, and so this would have been a very vivid, a vivid image to people in his day. You know, we don't live in a city where we have a high place. You don't, you, know, you don't think in terms of some army coming and us running to a fortress to go, you know, hide. It's just so foreign to our thought. But in Paul's day, in Corinth, that would have made perfect sense. Everyone would have looked and said, oh, yeah, that, that's what, it, what he's talking about. But Paul's not talking about an earthly battle, right? He's using that as an illustration of what? Of, of spiritual war and a spiritual battle. And so he says to us in that passage in, in 2 Corinthians, um, it would help if I open my Bible to 2 Corinthians, don't you think? Um, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, he uses that imagery, and he says this, um, For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. These strongholds are fortresses. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought, um, take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. This idea um, of destroying strongholds, destroying these, these fortresses that are raised up uh, is, a, is a very, it's, it's, it's the picture of it's the picture of, of an invading army going up into the fortress and liberating the people that are entrenched there. But he's not talking about people. He's talking about something else. What, what is he talking about? What are the strongholds when, he, when we make the analogy to the spiritual battle? What are the strongholds that he's talking about? What's, what, what's held captive? It's the thoughts, right? Doesn't he say that? Um, we're not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare, we have divine power to destroy strongholds. And then he turns around and he describes... What we're destroying. What is it that we're destroying? Arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So the strongholds we're talking about here in a spiritual war is not a physical uh, high place, but it's thoughts, right? 
It's thoughts, it's beliefs, it's arguments, it's, it's theological, it's philosophical, it's, it's thoughts, things that we believe that have the ability to hold us captive. Do you see that connection? He's saying that, that, that things can happen in our mind and in our thoughts that literally become, become like a fortress around us that hold us captive. And we're captive to it. We're, 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 we're stuck in them. And we need to be liberated from them. Do you see that illustration? And he's making this the picture of, of, of the spiritual war, the spiritual battle. The idea that we have enemy forces who are, who are, who are affecting us in the area of our thoughts with the goal of, of fortressing us into to thoughts and ways of thinking and ways of believing that, 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 that cut us off from God and from His will and from what He would have us to do. Do you see that connection? Does that make sense? So he's talking about the way we think. And what he describes these thoughts as is speculations and lofty things. And what he means is just ideas and opinions and reasonings and philosophies and theories and ideologies, religions, right? Uh, Ways of thinking. So let's talk about this in practical sense. Uh, Maybe look at your own life or look at people that you deal deal with in your life. What kind of, of thoughts and ideologies, false religions trap people in the way they think and cut them off from being able to see and understand and believe the truth of God's Word? What kind of thoughts capture people? I'm talking about what do people do in place of that? How do they think? What kind of thought patterns, what kind of belief systems uh, capture people so that they're blind to the truth of the Gospel? Materialism? Okay, all right. They believe just the whole the whole culture, our cultural idea: go get more, achieve the next thing, buy the bigger, the bigger, the better, and just becomes the the whole shape of their thought process for life. Okay, I, I think that's a, one of these lofty things, one of these one of these speculations that that absolutely fortresses people. Yep. Okay, so atheism or just some sort of scientific naturalism you know, that, we, that, that people just uh, 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 believe and embrace. And, and, and they've embraced it so wholeheartedly. They've entrenched themselves in that kind of thinking. And it, it, and it blinds them to the gospel. It becomes a fortress that, that, that boxes them in. Yep. Okay, cultural moralism. Sure. This idea of I'm just good. Just try and do good things and be a good guy, be a good person. That's all I need. And that, they, that blinds them to the fact that they need Christ and that they're a sinner. Is that what you're talking about? Yep. Okay, this belief system that, that, that says there's many paths to God. Okay. Yep. Matt? Okay. So any, all, and we could go on. I mean, we're talking about religious things and we're talking, it could be religious, it could be false religions, it could be aberrations of Christianity that, that become fortresses that blind people to the truth. It could be completely secular ideologies that have nothing to do with any uh, established religion. But they're all, if, we could, if we thought about this for a while, we could lay out a whole lot of ways that people get entrenched or enfortressed, if you will, in thought patterns that, that hold them captive, that, that hold them captive and cut them off from the ability to be able to see and understand the truth of God. Uh, they, they, they entrench themselves uh, and set themselves there in these thought patterns, and they're trapped in a real sense. And the only way for them to be helped out of that is what? 
Okay, something has to demolish that stronghold. Something has to demolish that fortress and liberate them from that, that thought pattern that's got them captive. I mean, you know, maybe you've talked to some folks. Maybe you've tried, you've tried to do evangelism very much. You've run into this. You've run into people that you're, you, you, you know the truth and you're passionately trying to tell them the truth, but it's just like, it's like there's a wall that they just cannot get beyond. They can, have, you, have you had that experience before? They just can't see it. They, they just, they're, they're, they're set in a way of thinking and they can't move beyond that. And this is the imagery that Paul is saying, that this is what men do. This is what men do. Uh, they, they, they entrench themselves in ways of thinking. And Paul is saying that part of spiritual warfare is, 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 is taking those fortresses and there's a way by which we can smash them and liberate people from that kind of thinking. And, it, and, and, and the picture that comes to my mind is if you think of... Um, do you remember the, uh, the demon-possessed man that Jesus healed? The guy, this guy that was just nuts. He was just bonkers. I mean, nobody could control the man. He was out of his mind. No one would come near him. Jesus cast the demon out of him. And the next thing you know, this guy is sane. He's in his right mind. And he's following Christ. I mean, from one minute to the next, he's a madman. And the next minute, he's liberated, right? The demon is gone. And he's, he's a liberated man. And now, it's, now whereas before, he, his thought was so messed up and clouded, he couldn't see anything. Now, all of a sudden, he's sane and in his right mind and knows who Christ is and is able to follow him. Do you see the That's what happens when you're liberated and that's a really extreme example. But Paul is saying that spiritual warfare is a lot like that. In even smaller ways, people get entrenched, maybe not demon-possessed in that sense, but entrenched and blinded into ways of thinking, patterns of thinking, strongholds of thinking. And the truth has to liberate them, has to smash that stronghold and liberate them, uh, liberate their thoughts and their minds. Okay, so maybe I'm beating this to death here. But you get the idea that we're talking about here. We're talking about, uh, Paul is saying here, uh, that, this illustration of strongholds of thinking, uh, and it need to be liberated. And he, and he talks about how to do that. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. <clears throat> and then we take, excuse me, every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. What does that mean? Take every thought captive <clears throat> and make it obedient to Christ. Filter it. The imagery here is is going up to one of those fortresses with a spear. The word with a, the word related to the spear is actually in this word. It's like going in and busting into the fortress and leading the captives out by the tip of a spear. That's the imagery. So he said we take our thoughts captive. He's really vivid imagery of, of of invading that fortress and liberating our thoughts, and taking them captive to what. Making them obedient to Christ, whereas before they were what? They were entrenched in ways of thinking that were disobedient to Christ. We capture them, liberate them from this entrenchment, and make them obedient to Christ. Okay, so it's this liberating of our thoughts is what he's talking about. How do we do that? Okay, I think those are good. Those are some really good tips. I mean, they really are. Um, but if we're dealing with thoughts, and we're dealing with Thoughts that are untrue because Satan is the father of lies. And, and so uh, the way he influences us almost always involves some sort of lie or some sort of a twisting of the truth. Um, and so the way to, to deal with lies and twisting of the truth is to counter it with the actual truth. Okay, so that's got to be a part of the mix here somewhere as well. Right. So this whole idea of I think we can take at least this idea from all this war and battle imagery that, that this is not an easy thing. Is that fair to say? 
I mean, taking a fortress and an army is not, it's a battle. It requires a battle. It's not easy. And, and I think Paul is at least saying to us this, that this idea of dealing with our thoughts and taking our thoughts and making them obedient to Christ is not an easy thing. That it will involve a battle. And that battle involves regular activity. It's not like there's a quick fix for this. Um, right? And so I think that one of the problems we have often in spiritual warfare is we give up way too easily. We think that there's some quick and easy solution. And if we don't get a quick and easy solution right like that, we just give up the fight. And that's not the picture of spiritual warfare in Scripture. Certainly not in this passage. It's the idea of a prolonged attack countering enemy forces regularly, daily, taking our thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. In order to do that, we have to know the truth. And the truth has to be an active part of that. So where can we start? What's the start to that? To be able to apply the truth, you have to first, you have to, must first know the truth, right? So we're handicapped in the battle if we don't know the truth. How do we know the truth? It's God's Word. And how, do we, how does the truth of God's Word get out of the pages of this and into my brain where my thoughts are? Okay, all right, yeah. Don't tell me you sleep on it like a pillow. It doesn't work like that. You must read it, right? So, uh, can we say this at least at the outset here? That if we're going to be successful in this spiritual war at all, in the area of taking our thoughts captive, it's going to begin with the Word of God and His truth. And it begins at the place where we read it and study it and begin to know it. Apart from that, apart from that, and we're going to see this play out in the Ephesians passage next week, apart from that, we have no, we have no weapon. We have no weapon to battle with. Okay? We have no weapon, by, no spear by which we can take the fortress and liberate the thoughts. Um, Satan is a crafty enemy, and his forces are crafty. They understand our weaknesses. Uh, they know how to influence our thoughts. And they know he knows exactly how to twist the truth to make it believable. And whether it's, whether it's a, a lost man who's entrenched in some form of atheism or secular humanism, or whether it's a person who loves Christ who's struggling with fears and doubts and anxieties and worries and lusts and angry thoughts and, uh, and vengeful thoughts and uh, unforgiving thoughts, whether, whether regardless of what the extent is, those are just differences in, in quantity. At the end of the day, it's still a war that's going on in the mind and it must be liberated by the truth of God. Only the truth of God can liberate a mind from such lies. We saw it with Jesus last week. The only, how did he counter every one of Satan's twisted temptations? He comes back with the truth. He comes back with the truth. He comes back with the truth. So we can begin tonight at least by saying that if we're going to begin to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, it begins with studying the Word of God. It begins with believing the Word of God. Not just studying it, but believing it. Embracing it by faith. Believing what God's Word says. And then in light of that, Daily rejecting the lies that are coming. Daily re- when those thoughts come, we recognize the lie because we know the what. You don't have to focus on Satan. You don't have to focus on demons. You don't have to focus on the lies. If you just get the truth right, you understand the truth, then you automatically can identify the lie, right? People who, who, who understand how to find counterfeit currency, right? They don't focus on every possible counterfeit. What do they do? They study real closely the real thing, and they know how to identify the real thing. And so when the real thing's not there, they automatically know anything else is a counterfeit. When we know the truth and we embrace the truth and we believe the truth and it's in our heart and it's in our mind, when the lie comes, we see it and we can reject that. Recognize what it is. This is a, this is a, a satanic 
attack of some sort. Not necessarily from Satan himself, but this is, this, it roots back to the evil one. And the goal is not to have me thinking right, but the goal is to get a foothold into my life, which can ultimately become a stronghold. It becomes a fortress that if I never get out of it, becomes my prison that ultimately can become what? My tomb. And so that's the idea here. So we, we, we study the Word of God. We believe it. We accept it. We reject the lies. And then we begin to put it in practice. We begin to act on the truth as opposed to the lie. And in the midst of that, somebody said it a few moments ago, every day it's asking God, God, help me in the battle today. I need your wisdom. I need your discernment to know the truth, uh, to know it apart from the lie, and to be able to reject the lies and embrace the truth and live the truth today. And this is where it begins. This is how we begin to, to, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. It's a daily battle every day you know it's funny how when you're teaching things <clears throat> i don't know maybe some of you who teach and do other things you find this to be true and it plays out in our each of our lives differently but god gives you opportunities to put into practice what you're teaching often and you know over the last couple of weeks um, i've got a friend who who's in the thick of battle i don't know that he would characterize it as that necessarily but maybe he would but um we've had several conversations in the recent weeks via text message and email. And and this is someone who's been in the battle for a a really uh, thick spiritual battle for a long time. And uh, and he's been really, really struggling. And um, he's been asking me a lot of questions, you know. And uh, it's been good good for me as I've been thinking about spiritual warfare. I can see those fortresses in his thinking, those ways in which his thinking has gotten off and and in and ways he, he can't see beyond certain lies that he's believed, whether knowingly or unknowingly. And the challenge has been for me in, in coming alongside this friend is being able to, to in, in, introduce the truth into his life with the goal that, he might, that the, the truth might bust down these strongholds in his thinking and help him to see beyond, to liberate him. Um, in this one, you know, in one particular area... Uh, there's there's some hopelessness going on. You know, has anybody ever struggled with that? Hopelessness? You know, things in life are just have been bad, and and they've maybe been bad for a long time. And you begin to look around, and in your mind, you begin to think it, it can't get better. It's just going to always be like this, and nothing is ever going to change. And I'm never going to be any better off than I am right now. And you begin to lose hope. Where? How does? That's a pattern of thinking. That's one of these. These fortresses, these strongholds that are part of the spiritual battle. Do you see how that works? You know, that's, people often in that condition, that's, that's how people get to the place of saying, you know, I'm just going to kill myself. Because they believe something. They believe it's bad, it's never going to get worse. They can even believe that the world is better off without them. That the people they love are better off without them. Now, none of that is true, Right? A sane person who's not in, that, in the thick of that battle from the outside looking in can say, well, that's insane. That's not true. There's always hope that things can get better. You know, the people around you would not be better off if you were gone. In fact, they would be worse off if you were gone. From the outside, I can see that. But when you're in that, what? It's a stronghold and it's, it's tr- you believe it. You believe it. You can be convinced of it. And, and, and what's required to get that person who's trapped liberated from that kind of thinking? We've got to find ways to very practically get God's truth to them in ways that they can practically understand it and receive it. Um, and we pray 
as we introduce that truth, God uses truth to demolish this stronghold that's got them trapped and holding them captive to lies. So I don't know. Maybe look for how that's playing out in your life and in the lives of people around you as well. Um, it's been very practical for me in the recent weeks just because of this interaction I've had with this friend. And, and I'm still praying for him. But, you know, uh, just this past week, um, uh, I'd gotten a message and I had responded with some passages of Scripture I thought were relevant. And I tried to not just, you know, throw out Bible verses, but to practically say, here's how this, you know, here's what, he's, here's what God's saying to you in this verse. And I got a response back that, 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 that gave me this indication that some liberation was happening. And I was so thrilled. You know, I was so thrilled to begin to see that, that fortress begin to crumble a little bit in this person's mind. And I'm praying that God's going to demolish the whole thing soon for this guy and liberate him. But, um, but you know, I think we have to... That image is helpful to me. It's been helpful to me in, in navigating with this friend. But it's helpful to me in navigating with my own self. And, the, and the, the ways that I get messed up in my thinking um, and, and uh, the ways that I get influenced in my thoughts and all those ways that you answered question number one. Um, so we need to think in terms of this battle in our minds. The goal is taking every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ, and that involves the application of God's truth. If you and I are not in the Word of God, if we're not putting it in our minds, if we're not meditating on it, if we're not filling ourselves with, met with the Word of God, we're going into battle without the only weapon we have. And that's dangerous in any war. But certainly one as important as this. So let's pray about that. Father, we're thankful that you have not left us uh, without a weapon. Uh, but you have given us your word, sword of the Spirit, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to, uh, to cut through every battle and every lie and every twisted truth able to liberate people who are captive to lies. Thought processes, to ideologies, to false religions, to philosophies that have set themselves in their minds against you. And Lord, we live in a culture that is hostile to you. Um, most people we know are, are trapped in thought processes and ideologies that are opposed to you, that have cut them off from you. And they believe these things to be true and believe they're their thoughts to be accurate and right. We know them to be lies because they contrast with your truth. And we ourselves, Lord, as we seek to follow you, we wake up every day and we live throughout the day. And in our thoughts, uh, we, we, we feel the battle rage. We, we know what it is to think angry thoughts. We know what it is to think vengeful thoughts and to, to think about unforgiveness. We know what it's like to be filled with anxieties and worries. We know what it's like to be afraid of things that we ought not fear. We know what it is to doubt you. These, 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 these things play out in our thoughts and in our minds, and we do battle. Sadly, we don't. Sadly, we just give in to the thoughts, and sometimes even to the point where we think there's no hope. I pray for anyone who happens to be here tonight who finds himself in that kind of a battle where they're on the edge of hopelessness. God, I pray that you would, that you would begin to help them to see right now that there's always hope, that, that, that you can liberate us from such things. But God, as we leave this place tonight and as we go back to work tomorrow and our, back to our families and we begin to be assaulted in the area of our thoughts in the spiritual battle, Lord, help us to begin even now uh, to meditate on your word to begin to study your word, to begin to know it and apply it in our lives in such a way that we can regularly 
can regularly begin to take each thought captive. That we can recognize the satanic lies and the deceptions in contrast to your truth. That we can embrace the truth and begin to live it in practical ways in our life. We pray for your help in this. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.